Well, um, this is wonderful, and I wonder um, how many of you, for how many of you is this the first time you're back to church? Because we had the outdoor service, put your hand up nice and high. See, we figured that there were a large group of people out there that were just waiting for that opportunity to gather where it's like maximum safety, uh, some time has passed, and they're just ready to go. So this is awesome. We'd love to do this once a month, um, you know, as long as the weather is permitting. And it's really cool that um, as I was picking a sermon series well before all this started happening, uh, I decided to go with a series that focuses on the church. Glory in the Church is the name of the series, and it comes from the book of Ephesians. And it's, it's so applicable because we as a church have been scattered, and the Lord is regathering us. He's, he's reassembling us. He's reconnecting us. Um, and so it's a perfect book for how the church is put together, how the church is going to be put together again uh, as we are finding our way back to church. So um, the sermon this morning is all about that. Jesus wants to gather and grow us as a church so that we can go and fill the world with his glory. Ephesians is all about that. And today we're going to see how we can build a strong, healthy church that glorifies the risen Lord. We're going to look at three spiritual battlegrounds where we will be tempted and tested individually and as a church. It's Call it a three-point inspection, right? And we're going to learn how we can build a stronger church together. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless our time in your word. Thank you for the beautiful day you have given us. Thank you for your word, which is in our hands, which is the word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us through your word this morning and strengthen us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 28, there is a three-point inspection for every person, every man, every woman, every child, every church. And if we get these things right in the church, then we will become stronger than ever. And if we get these things wrong in the church, in our home, in our marriages, at our workplaces, then we will be in rough shape. So look at Ephesians 4, verse 25. And here's what it says. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, circling back to verse 25, it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So write this down, number one, if you're taking notes. Put away falsehood, speak the truth. Put away falsehood, speak the truth. I think we would all generally agree that lying is wrong. Give me an amen if lying is wrong. And I think we would all generally agree that we're all liars. At some point in our lives, we have lied. Say amen if that's true. <laughs> if your neighbor didn't say amen, they just lied. <laughs> so turn to your neighbor and call him a liar. Put, put falsehood away. Speak the truth. Um, here's a picture of probably the most famous liar in history. Check it out. Who, do you know who this person is? Go ahead and put the picture up there. It is. Who is it? It would make life a lot easier if when someone told a lie, their nose literally grew, right? 
Like, don't you think that would make elections more interesting? <laughs> Tell us your platform. Tell us your agenda. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. It's a funny cartoon because it's true. But we are used to being lied to, aren't we? There was a movie back in my day called Liar, Liar. It was a, a boy, a son, who was so tired of his dad lying to him that he wished for his birthday that his dad could no longer lie. And it turned out to be one of the most uh, successful comedies of that year. It was called Liar, Liar. Of course, Jim Carrey was the attorney who could no longer lie. So the whole movie was about an attorney who couldn't lie, right? Hilarious thought. And he was caught in all sorts of predicaments when he could only tell the truth. What would it be like if that wish was granted today and suddenly the world just couldn't lie anymore? And thinking of elections again, what would happen there if it was impossible for everyone to lie? No one would get reelected, right? Or elected. We would just be without a government because everyone's telling the truth. We would finally know what's going on with Area 51, right? We would figure out all the secrets. I like how... Um, advertisers try and lie to us, right? And uh, so one person put together pictures of what advertisers would put on their slogans if they actually told the truth. So put it up there. Here's the first one. Uh, go ahead, put it up there. I can't see it yet. There it is. Lego, the bane of your foot's existence. Imagine if that's just the way they advertised it, right? Here's the next one. So this is the Golden Arches, right? McDonald's. And the slogan is, because you only have $4. Imagine if that was their advertisement. All right, how about this one? <clears throat> Maybelline, maybe it's Photoshop. Of course, Maybelline is, maybe it's Maybelline, but maybe it's Photoshop. All right, and uh, I like this last one. Those of you who are Coca-Cola fans uh, will like it. Pepsi, when there's no Coke. <laughs> Advertisers lie, they don't tell us the truth about their product. It would be funny if they did. Nobody likes being lied to, but everybody lies right? So we are tempted to deceive other people, and we need to know how we lie. So how do we lie? Well, there's, there's just the bold-faced, right? The, the I'm just lying. I'm just denying the truth, and I'm just going to tell a lie. But there are other ways, too. There's the white lie, the fib, right? Everybody seems to allow for the white lie, but that's still deception. There's the exaggeration, right, where you tell a whopper and you exaggerate things. There's the lie of omission, when you tell half the truth, and then when someone's like, why didn't you tell me? Then the answer is, well, you didn't ask. It's called a lie of omission, leaving out the truth to deceive someone else. That's lying as well. And then there's a broken promise or an agreement, meaning there was some binding thing that we didn't follow through with. And then there's making things up to hurt other people, rumors, gossip, sharing dirt to hurt other people. That's how we lie. But why do we lie? Well, many reasons. We lie to avoid consequences. We lie to get something that we can't gain in a righteous way. Uh, we lie because we want to protect other people from the truth that could hurt them. And we also lie to hurt people who have perhaps hurt us. Uh, that's why we lie. There are famous stories of people getting caught in lies in the Bible. And let me just recommend to you that if you think you're getting in the Bible, don't lie, okay? It's good life advice. If you, if you assume that something about your life is about to get in the Bible, don't lie, okay? David lied, right? He lied about killing Bathsheba's husband after they had a fling, and he got confronted by the prophet, and his whole lie got exposed, right? Uh, Sarah, Abraham's husband, lie, uh, laughed at the thought of giving birth in her 90s, right? And then the angel said, 
uh, why did you laugh? And what did she say? I didn't laugh. Another good rule, don't lie to an angel. Okay, don't lie in the Bible and don't lie to an angel. I didn't laugh. And the angel's like, uh, you did. <laughs> you did. I'm an angel and I heard it. Liars getting caught in the Bible. Of course, Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie about their offering and they went to an early grave because of the deception. That's a sobering reminder that lying offends a holy God. Who is the father of lies according to the Bible? Who's the father of lies? So Satan's a daddy. He's a daddy and he had all of these little babies called what? Lies. So when we lie, we're actually showing a little baby picture of one of Satan's kids, right? That's terrifying. How why would we do that? He's the father of lies. So we have to put away falsehood and we have to speak the truth, but we're lied to regularly and we're all tempted to do it. So how does the Bible motivate us to tell the truth? Well, it gives us a motive here. It says uh, that we have to put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, meaning we're one body. We are, we are one. So write this down. Uh, put away falsehood, speak the truth, because we are one body in Christ. The Bible could have given us 15 reasons why we shouldn't lie. 21 consequences that come from lying, right? 15 people who were just, no, no, it doesn't do any of that. It holds up a picture of a body and it says, you are this, you are this. And because we are spiritually united in Christ, one body with Christ at the head, we shouldn't lie to each other. That image shows that it's impossible to lie without hurting yourself and Christ because we are all unified in one body, right? Uh, it's also a really funny image of a body, body parts trying to lie to one another, same body trying to tell lies, like the mouth, right? Being, being like, uh, hey, uh, body, uh, how, how about another piece of pizza? I mean, we've only had one, and then the stomach's like, four, I've got four down here, and the mouth's like, oh, just stop it. What, are you good at math now? Stick with chemistry, stomach. Like, imagine the mouth trying to lie to the stomach to get what, it's a funny image of body parts trying to lie to one another, right? And, and people in the church lying to one another will cause that same confusion and pain, and it's just so foolish to think one body part can trick another one, right? So we shouldn't lie because we're one body in Christ. We're united to one another and we're united to him. And therefore we grieve one another and him if we lie. It says in Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. So when we think we're doing people a favor by not you know, telling the truth or we're doing ourselves a favor by not getting caught, we actually hate those we hurt. Now, I'm not telling you to just tell the whole truth, blunt trauma to the soldier. You just tell it like it is. That's another sermon about how we tell the truth, when we tell the truth, why we tell the truth. Another sermon. But the point is, we have to tell the truth because we're one body in Christ. In Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, number two. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness, there's more lying, who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. So a divisive person, which is usually a liar. So three out of the seven are deception and lying. God made a list of seven things he really hates, and three out of the seven are like lying. 
lying and dividing. That's how much he hates it. He hates it, he hates it, he hates it, right? So put away falsehood, speak the truth, because we're one body in Christ. And let me just exhort us as a church and invite you as a person to be honest. Now, as a, as a preacher, sometimes I'm like a shepherd and I get my little shepherd's crook and I gently help people to do what the word says. And then I've also got my rod and sometimes I have to like thump, right? Thump us on the head. So I'm going to do both. Like, like if you've developed a pattern of lying and deceiving and it hasn't been confronted yet, like thump. That God really wants that to get fixed today. He really wants that to be repented of and forsaken. And he wants you to walk away from that for good. Now, if telling the truth is just a struggle for you because let's say that you're afraid of what people would think if they knew the truth about you. Okay, let me just shepherd you and, and say this. Uh, telling other people the truth about yourself, right, or about how they hurt you or whatever is one of the most terrifying things to do in the world. Because do we really want people to know us? Like everything, like what will they do? We'll feel judged. And, you know, so being honest about who we are, what we've done, and where we're at with the Lord is where spiritual health starts. And if you feel like you're just going to small group and not really telling how you're doing and just keeping it at the small talk, hey, listen, don't be afraid of the truth. I think people assume that if they went to Jesus and said, all right, Jesus, I'm finally ready to tell you the truth. I really need a lot of help. I think people assume Jesus would be like, what? You're still sinning? How dare you? I know, I know. I know. Okay, do you know Jesus? Do you really think if you came to him and said, Jesus, there's a lot of things that I really need help with and I want to be honest with you. Do you know what he would say? He'd say, finally, finally you're being honest. That's why I came. I, I'm the good shepherd, right? I brought eternal life down and I'm really glad you're finally telling the truth that you need help. So if you need help, I just invite you to meet with somebody you know and love and trust, maybe your small group leader. If you've got some really serious stuff that you've been stuffing deep down, meet with a pastor or an elder and listen, listen, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Put away falsehood, speak the truth. Uh, that's number one. Number two, jot this down. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. So it moves on from honesty and then in uh, verse 25, it goes on to say this, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So be angry. Notice that the Bible doesn't forbid anger. It doesn't say anger is inherently sinful. It's not. Uh, God gets angry. God gets angry a lot. So the question is not, do you get angry? The question is, do you get angry in a righteous manner? We will get upset. But in our anger, we are not to sin. Now, we all know angry people, right? Raise your hand if you know someone who's angry. Yeah, we all, we all know someone who's, they're out there, right, out around us. But we're a little reluctant to admit that we are angry people, right? And, and in 2020, let's face it, we're all angry people. Am I right? Like, if, if, you, if you won't admit the, the truth that you're an angry person in 2020, go back to the first point of the sermon and listen to it again because you're lying. <laughs> you're lying. We get mad, we get mad, we get mad, right? We get mad at our kids, at our pets, at our technology, at our government. We're tempted to lose it. And sometimes we do. We do. 
Disney made a movie all about our feelings inside, all of our emotions. It's called Inside Out. Who's, who's seen that movie, Inside Out? Here's a clip from that movie about anger. Check it out. When things go wrong, anger is there. This is anger. He will make sure the world knows anger is in control. But what you really need to watch out for is when he's out of control. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. That's what it is, in case you were wondering. Anger, what was that again? I think I heard about that before. Uh, yeah. We're all tempted to be angry. And we will be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. So if the question is, has my anger become sinful? The Bible gives us a few measurements here. Uh, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. What that means is, um, generally, we should ask, how long is this anger lasting? Now, it's not literal. It doesn't mean that you can be angry until sundown, right? Like, my watch actually tells me when the sun sets, and I can't be like, all right, that person made me mad at breakfast, but I've got another eight hours to fume before I have to let it go. I'm going to be furious in three, two, one. Okay, fine. I can't be angry anymore because the sun set. It's not literal. What it means is that generally speaking, Christians, we should be people who don't get angry for long. So it doesn't last very long. So how are you doing at that? Are you a person whose anger doesn't last very long? Like you get angry, but it doesn't last like same day you find a righteous outlet for it, right? You call a friend or you sit down with your spouse or you tell the person, like, are you kind of a same day service for anger? Now, careful with that because it's not, this doesn't mean that every time you get angry, you barge into your boss's office, you did it again. And I'm not going to let the sun go down until I tell you about my anger. Okay, it doesn't mean to be tactless, like, this is just generally speaking, we have to be people who are uh, not holding on to anger for a long time. The book of James gives us another metric to measure how angry we are. It says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, so am I slow to get there? and quick to get past it. That's a really good measure of how I'm doing with anger. I'm slow to get there, and I'm fast to get past it. Now look, if people around you would generally say, she's fast to get there and slow to get past it, you've got it backwards, right? You, you got to flip it around. Slower to get there, faster to get past there. That's the biblical way. Be angry, but don't sin. We've got to win our battle with anger in our homes, at our jobs, in our church. And with Christ, we can contain the fire of anger in a redemptive manner. And so listen, I just want to encourage you that God can cool your volcanic heart. Here's a picture of an erupting volcano, right? And maybe, maybe there are times where to your own shame, you feel like this is me. You feel like I just blow my top. It's like, right? And, and maybe that you are well aware that you want to be transformed in this area. Um, jot this down. Find a righteous outlet today. Find a righteous outlet. The Bible acknowledges that we're all going to struggle with anger the rest of our lives. It just says we've got to ground it in something that is righteous. 
you've got a right to be angry when something wrong happens, when you're not respected like you should be, right? Uh, you've got a right to desire justice and resolution, but you have to refuse to allow anger to abide in your soul. And the, and the sooner you admit that you need help in this area, the sooner God's peace can arrive. Uh, we need husbands to win this battle. We need wives to win this battle. We need children to win this battle. We need leaders to win this battle. And I would just say that the best outlet to take your anger would be prayer. Uh, if you're struggling with anger, I would ask you this. When's the last time you prayed angry? What? Prayed angry? When's the last time you prayed angry? Do you know you can go to the Lord with your anger and tell him about it? And then immediately you're going to think, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk to God about this. Meaning, I don't think I should be this upset. Okay, that's good to know. If you can't talk to God about it, maybe it's time to just cool down. But if you feel like it is a just cause and something wrong did happen, why don't you pray angry? Go to the Lord and let him hear it, right? Don't be angry with him, uh, but be angry in his presence. And that's a really good way to just unburden yourself and to let him know that there are some things that are truly upsetting. Find a righteous outlet today. Um, the third thing you can write down is this. Don't take from others, provide for others. So number one, put away falsehood, speak the truth, because we're one body in Christ. Number two, be angry, but do not sin. Uh, find a righteous outlet today. And then number three, don't take from others, provide for others. So it goes on in the Bible after covering the first two points to say, to say this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All three of these, the Bible says, give no opportunity to the devil. Meaning if we get these areas under control, it's going to be harder for Satan to take us down. But if we prioritize righteousness in these areas, then God is going to build us up as a church. So don't take from others, provide for others. Uh, thieves take what belongs to others and they squander it and they, they use it for themselves. Did I tell you last year that we had thieves come through our neighborhood at night? Have you guys had your cars broken into at night in your neighborhoods? They come out during the, during the night, they go through the cars and they steal stuff. We had thieves come through our neighborhood and like, like everybody on the block whose cars were unlocked just lost stuff. And we walked outside and our car doors were open. In fact, the police came late at night in the middle of the night to tell us about it. And so we looked through our, our cars and we realized we weren't missing anything. They had opened everything, but they didn't take anything. And then we saw when the morning came, we'll show a picture here, uh, but we saw that out front, in front of our house, there was um, laundry detergent and fabric softener left on our house by the thieves, left out front. And so we were like, what is this? And so all the neighbors were like, hey, did you guys get robbed too? What did they take? And we were like, actually, they left stuff for us. We can't figure it out. <laughs> we came ahead on this deal. <laughs> Uh, maybe they saw my Bible in one of the cars and decided to change their ways. I'll never know. Uh, but these were, maybe these were Robin Hood thieves. They took from a richer neighborhood and they dumped stuff in our neighborhood, right? I don't know. But they were, uh, they were thieves. They took what did not belong to them. So when, it talk, when it, the Bible talks about being uh, honest, it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so they may have something to share with anyone in need. So often stealing actually comes 
from previous bad habits. Stealing is actually a symptom of something deeper that's going on, but we take because we don't have or because we have a need that we can't fuel in a righteous manner. And so the, the theft is actually a symptom of something worse. And hard work is where it begins. You could write this down. Work hard to make a living. Work hard to make a living. One of the best ways to remove the temptation of stealing is to actually have stuff that you've earned in a legitimate manner. Uh, so working hard and bringing a profit and saving up is one of the best ways to deny yourself the temptation of having to take what doesn't belong to you. Christians should work hard. I don't know what your job is. I don't know when you clock in tomorrow what you do, but you should do a great job. You should work hard to benefit your company uh, and, and to do the best with their resources. So that means, Christians, we don't waste time. We don't steal supplies. We don't squander what others have entrusted to us. Did you see the story last November about a Louisiana post office manager who was arrested for stealing, get this, over the course of his time there, $630,000 worth of stamps. Listen, $630,000 worth of stamps. He, he used Christmas to do it. All these holiday stamps would come in and they weren't, they weren't inventoried the same way. They didn't keep track of them. So how, how low is that, that he would use Christmas? Well, I just need all these holiday stamps. I've got all these people that I need to send cards to. And over the course of so many years, he steals over $600,000. That is crooked. They found out that he had a gambling addiction that he just couldn't get under control. And so that fueled the gambling. You know, when it comes to stealing, I think we all have stories of when we took something that didn't belong to us. When I, when I was not a Christian, I worked at McDonald's, the Golden Arches, right? And uh, I learned that I could steal, because we were high schoolers managed by college students, right? Not the best business model. And I, I figured out that I could find ways to steal money from the register and get away with it. And so I would just take a little here and a little there, you know, but back then, 25, 50 bucks to a high schooler was a good amount of money. And then after I got saved, I felt so convicted because I had stolen money that I went back to the manager and I confessed it. And I was like, look, I, I, don't, I have no clue how much I took, but I'd just like to give some money back to maybe try and cover it. And he's like, all right, great, that's, that's, that's great. And I, I stole some stuff from my high school that I still had in a box. And I was like, all right, I've got to bring that back. So I brought it back and so I'm sorry. I, I, took, I felt convicted because I took what didn't belong to me. Now, before I became a Christian, I didn't care. You know, they didn't catch me. Oh, well, they're their fault. But after I became a Christian, God immediately zeroed in on that and said, you need to make that right. And I wonder if there are things in your life that you need to make right, if you need to confess or even return some stuff and say, you know what? This doesn't belong to me. This doesn't belong to me. And don't be afraid of the consequences on earth. Well, what will happen if I bring... Be afraid of what happens if you get to heaven and you haven't made it right yet, Right? And, uh, and then an angel comes out, and he's like, all right, what's this? Uh-oh, I'm in heaven, and I'm in trouble. That's not a good idea. Hey, get, trouble on, get in trouble on earth. Generally, that's a better plan than getting in trouble when you move on. Uh, so I would just encourage you to make that right. I, I know that feeling of being convicted and making things right. And let me just say this, that with, um, with things that are going on this year, there's going to be a lot of pressure financially on you. And I don't know where you're at financially, but it's usually when there's pressure and fear, that's when we're tempted to compromise, to cut corners, to find other ways to make it. And we begin to justify it. Well, I, you know, I just this here and how am I going to pay this without that? And we start to justify taking what doesn't belong 
to us or, don't, or, or not paying what we have to pay. And I would just say this, don't be tempted when life is hard or you're desperate or afraid. Let your God and your family and your church help you. This actually ties into the lying part. Sometimes people aren't willing to tell, their, tell the truth that they need help financially. They'd rather steal, right, than, than get help. And let me just say, don't give in to that desperation this year. Labor, doing honest work, be a hard worker, not a freeloader, not a slacker, not a thief. And if you need help, ask for help. Jot this down. Sacrifice for those truly in need. It goes on to say, work hard with our own hands that you may have something to share with anyone in need. So this is the other part of it. If God's people have worked hard and have earned, then they're ready to share with other people who are in need. And that cuts off the cycle of theft and deception. So sacrifice for those truly in need. In Proverbs eleven twenty four, it says, One gives freely, yet grows the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. This is the Christian way. It, it, it doesn't make sense on a spreadsheet to say I'm going to begin by giving to the Lord, right? And therefore, I'm going to have less to live on right from the start. I'm going to give to the Lord, and I'm going to have less. Then I'm going to give to other people in need, and I'm going to have less. But somehow, my life's going to be richer. That doesn't seem to make sense. But that's the way that Christians live, right? We give to the Lord, we give to one another, and somehow in the end we live richer existence. Uh, not financially all the time. It's not a promise that God's going to make you prosper financially, but it definitely is a richer way to live, to be a generous person. And God always promises to meet all of your needs if you trust him and honor him. Our church is a very generous church. Earlier this year we did a food drive we, bought, we brought lunches in for a whole shift of nurses at Christ Hospital. They sent us a thank you card. And look, our deacons are ready to care for you. So if you, need, uh, if you need assistance, go to the website and fill out a care request. And our deacons would be happy to help you. You just have to have the humility to ask. So let's bring all this together. If we put away falsehood and speak the truth, if we're angry but we don't sin, and if we don't take from others but we provide for others, we will have stronger, healthier homes, stronger, healthier jobs, and a stronger, healthier church. Then Jesus will build us up, then he will bless us, and we will go to the ends of the earth with his glorious message. Now maybe you're sitting here today and you feel hopelessly afraid. You're like, you know what? I'm actually in a really bad spot. And something you heard today is like God pounding right on the top of your head. You're like, you know what? I feel like I'm trapped in sin. I feel like I've never been set free from sin. I feel like honesty, stealing, anger. I've never had those things under control. Hey, God may have brought you here today to show you that the only way you can experience lasting change in your life is by confessing the truth to Jesus and asking him to become your savior. Look, this sermon is not all about three ways you can work to make your life better. These are three areas where God has to transform you. You can't do it, but he can do it, and he will if you're honest with him. It all begins when you say, I'm hopeless, I'm afraid, I'm empty, and I really want to know forgiveness. I really want to know God. I really want to be transformed. I'm done with the same old me. Hey, God's putting that in your heart because he's showing you you need new life. New life that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And only Jesus offers forgiveness for all of your sins and then strength to learn a new way to live. And here's the sobering truth. If you want to get into heaven, you have to tell the truth that you're a sinner because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So the Bible says, he who says he has no sin deceives himself. If you're like, well, I don't have anything I've done wrong, nothing big. I'm going to be okay on judgment day. Really? Listen, when we get to the lying portion on judgment day, you really think you're just going to breeze through that section? You think your book is going to be real? Th- oh, oh I'll, I'll be fine on this one. Go ahead. Ask me about it. Like, we're going to be humiliated just on the lying section, let alone the anger section. And let alone, you got angry at that. And then the theft section? My goodness. I hope when you hear about these matters, you're like, I'm doomed on judgment day <laughs> like those three alone i'm i'm doomed and and then say what hope is for there is there for someone like me and here's the hope jesus came to save liars like you jesus came to save ragers like you jesus came to save thieves like you And so I would say this, don't settle for defeat any longer. Hey, God offers you a brand new life. Why would you say no to a brand new life? Ask Jesus to be your savior, to bear your sins for you, to transform your heart for good and to welcome you into his kingdom of light forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this challenging message this morning. And I I first think about those who are here this morning or watching online, and they feel so condemned and so guilty and, and so afraid. And I just pray that you would help them to know what to do with that. I pray that they would just cry out right now in their heart and say, Father, forgive a sinner like me. Forgive me. Jesus, take away all of my sins and promise me a place in heaven forever. Father, for those who are ready to be honest with you, I pray that they would see that there are going to be consequences for some of their actions that they have to own. Being forgiven doesn't mean that the consequences go away, but Jesus, you promised to transform us. And I pray that you would give people who are asking for help with lying or anger or stealing, if they ask for help, give them strength. Give them peace. And if there are consequences, walk them through that. I pray that they would choose rather right now problems on earth than to wait for heaven. And Lord, as you strengthen us, as you encourage us, make us stronger as a church because we're honest, because we're kind and patient, and because we give, we don't take. Build your church up in love as we care for one another. And we know that this is only possible as we abide in you, Jesus. And so this is our prayer in your name. Amen.